Hi, my name is Brooke Patterson and it's my pleasure today to introduce you to Dr. Joanne Parsons and Dr. Stephanie Cohen. Joanne is a physical therapist and an associate professor at the University of Manitoba. Her current research and clinical interests include sports injury prevention and inclusive resistance training programming for marginalised populations. Stephanie is a health geographer and assistant professor at the University of Nottingham in the UK. Her research interests relate to the role of our environments in shaping the gender gap in physical activity. Welcome to the podcast, Joanne and Steph. Thanks for having us. Thanks so much. Steph, what is a health geographer? This is a question I get asked all the time. So a health geographer is interested in how environments matter for health broadly. Um, So how environments shape health outcomes, health behaviours, our experiences of health. The inspiration for this podcast was your timely editorial in the BGSM on gendered environments on the back of the drastic differences between the men's and the women's gyms at the NCAA basketball tournament recently. I was hoping you could explain your inspiration for the editorial and also provide some examples of why you believe our environment may be influencing injury prevention and rehabilitation. Um, You know, first of all, we're thrilled that this paper has seemed to resonate with a lot of people um, and maybe was very timely in the things that were going on in the world at the time that it uh, came out. Um, It was a paper that was a long time in development. Uh, So as you said in your intro, I've been interested in ACL injury prevention and sports injury prevention uh, for a long time. And I've always been very frustrated, but also fascinated with the um, lack of attention to how um, gender and our genderized gendered environments might influence things where women are often reduced to you know hormones or their their anatomy um, in in research and so I began to think of so many different I think it's unlimited a number of examples that you could give uh, for gendered environments so some simple things I could think of um, off the top of my head are Uh, at least in my gym, um, different sized barbells are called the women's bar and the men's bar. But really what they are is the women's bar is a 15 kilogram bar that has a smaller um, diameter grip and the men's is a little larger. So, um, you know, we're, we're automatically or immediately setting people's expectations up is that women should be using the lower weighted bar and that men should be using a, a heavier bar. So that would be one really simple example. The fact that environments can influence how people um, move and um, control their bodies in space. And that is evident in in the physical literacy literature, for sure. Um, By grade four, there's a very distinct gender gap between what boys and girls are best at. Girls skip very well and boys throw and kick very well. And so already there's a gender gap. It's not a sex gap. It's, there's nothing biological that says that girls should not be able to throw and kick as well as boys and boys should be able to skip as well as girls. But there's some sort of societal expectations and um, environment that has set that up already by grade four. And so what's grade four, about 10 years old or something like that. So it makes sense to us. And what we try to argue in this paper is that those things have to have some sort of influence throughout that 
person's life as they become involved in more competitive sport, the way they move is different. And so, and it's from the environment that that's happened. So that it needs to be taken into, into consideration. So those are just a couple of really simple examples um, that I can come up with. And I'm sure Steph can do a better job of explaining the gendered environment and give some examples as well. So with our gendered environmental approach, what we wanted to do was kind of identify some of these key environments that might matter in shaping an athlete's risk of injury. So we give kind of a nod to these early childhood exposures in terms of the ways that boys and girls might be socialized into different ways of using and moving their bodies. And then we focus in particular on the competition environment, the training environment, and the treatment and rehabilitation environment. And what we try to do is look at those environments and just identify some plausible connections that we might see in the ways that those environments are gendered in terms of how they might set up kinds of um, differential risks for, for women athletes. And so really what our goal was is, is, is almost to provide kind of a starting point for us to sort of think about how can we look beyond the body and biology to start to think about some of the ways that these social exposures um, over the lifetime and over the kind of um, discrete sort of play course or of, of an athlete might kind of um, actually affect us in a material way, kind of how the social environment or the gendered environment gets under the skin. Um, and we think that that's kind of where, um, where the research needs to go. I think Joanne can speak more to this, but the fact that, um, you know, these injury rates, this disparity hasn't really changed in 20 years, it, that fact alone suggests that actually we need to start exploring other, other avenues. I wanted to explore this concept of masculinity and how it may be affecting injury prevention and rehab in women and girls. So the thought that weightlifting is masculine or there's that fear of getting bulky. Uh, what would be your advice to clinicians, treating athletes, parents or coaches who have these beliefs? That's a, that's a great question. Uh, not easily answered. Um, uh, but absolutely the, the, the fear of being bulky or uh, being too masculine is very real. Um, both Steph and I have done work, previous work in this area. Um, and from um, some focus groups I did with some high school girls that uh, went into their high school weight room and, and experienced uh, some, um, had some experiences in that environment. Uh, they very clearly said that they, it was perceived as this masculine environment. The space was not meant for girls. It was meant for football players and, and here I should say American football players and, and boys is what it was meant for. And that they didn't even know that they were allowed to go in there or that it was a space that they could go into. So it's a very real, um, a real fear and a real perception that uh, girls and women have most definitely, not all girls and women, of course. Um, but I don't know, how can clinicians um, I think a, a language matters for sure. Um, so making sure that we focus on not just or not the physical appearance of somebody as a result of training, any sort of physical training, you know, concentrating on performance, um, how it makes them feel both physically and emotionally, um, 
you know, we know that physical activity is good for the brain. It's good for the body. It helps us stay healthy. So focusing on those kinds of um, benefits of resistance training and weight training, rather than what is it doing to my body? And the other one other important thing about that environment and that clinicians are often involved with it as well is providing some role models. So especially for younger athletes or maybe less experienced athletes who are not comfortable in those types of training environments, providing um, a female, a, a girl or woman um, role model who can show them the ropes and make them feel welcomed and show them that, you know what, it's okay to have muscle that person does, you know, and they're quite confident and, and able. So that's something that, um, you know, clinicians can look for as well as to whether they're the role model or they make sure there's some sort of role model in that training environment, I think would go a long way. Thanks, Joanne. I think it's definitely something you can catch yourself saying in the sporting environment, oh, you're looking huge, you're looking fit. Um, so just bringing it back to that performance on the field is, is great advice. Steph, is there anything you wanted to add? I think Joanne said it so beautifully, but I guess I would just underscore that I think it's those really subtle and sometimes offhanded kind of comments or gestures that I think can kind of add up and actually really impact how someone feels in a particular space. Something that clinicians may come across is women and girls reporting they're intimidated to go to the gym, uh, and this may be a big barrier for completing rehab or injury prevention. Is there research to support this, and what can we do about it? Absolutely. And, and Steph's uh, previous research has shown, and, and some of mine too, is that in those spaces, boys and men tend to physically take up space, physically take up more space than, than girls and women, and also... Um, uh, take ownership of more of the equipment and will often, and there were report our reports all the time of someone's, a, a woman has a barbell set up on the bench is resting between sets and someone will come and actually take the weights because they can't believe that a woman is actually using them at that moment. Right. So, um, so that, yeah, there's that kind of um, uh, privilege. It's almost like a feeling of, this is a, you know, that a feeling of privilege and, and this is the other, I guess, this is the other message that we want to make sure gets out too, is that we're not, this isn't about blaming, you know, we're not trying to blame all men and all boys for all these bad things that are, you know, happening. It's, it's just a good opportunity for everyone to take a step back and be a bit critical of what's happening. What is, what are the behaviors and attitudes and um, language that are being used in these spaces? And is that the best that we can do? Can we do better? Why are we doing things the way we are doing or are doing them? You know, so it's just a, it's a chance for everyone to just have a, uh, a bigger a step back and a bigger picture look at what's at what happening and what we can do to improve things. Mm. Um, can I just add on to that, um, that I would absolutely underscore that message and, you know, just thinking about the gym in particular, because I think it's kind of an, an accessible example to think of in terms of a gendered environment and how it matters to, to sport and injury risk. But um, my research certainly suggests that the solutions are not thinking in that binary sort of men versus women way, but that it's actually thinking about the kind of hierarchical gender relations that come to characterize a particular space. So my work in gyms has shown that both men and women experience exclusions and discomforts. 
um, and that it's it's actually about this kind of hierarchy that privileges a particular kind of masculinity that actually can displace a variety of people. And so I think we have to think much more um, comprehensively and relationally about kind of undoing the gender relations of some of these spaces. Um, and it's not, you know, one group versus a particular group. It's very much thinking about how to create a more equitable set of social relations um, that kind of become the norm in a particular environment. Yeah, we mentioned that in this paper too, that it's, you know, it's hard sometimes to, as an individual clinician, to try to make a difference, you know, in an, with an individual patient and an individual clinician, that kind of relationship. And while that's very important, I completely agree with what just, what Steph just said about it's bigger than that, right? It's looking at the um, processes and the overall structure that has allowed these kinds of things to happen up to this point and changing those kinds of things right so so in in our in our paper too we give one example of how um, if someone does uh, suffer from an ACL rupture men are more likely to be offered surgery and so just things like that and it's not an explicit bias. I'm sure that orthopedic surgeons are not specifically saying, well, this is a woman, I'm not going to offer them surgery. There's something bigger than that, right? There's some bigger, um, whether it's belief system or some sort of education that's been given or something that exists that makes that um, a pervasive belief and then results in that behavior that has results for girls and women. Thanks, Joanne and Steph. And yes, let's talk knees. So uh, we do have some evidence to suggest that women and girls have worse outcomes after ACL injury with worse symptoms, function, quality of life, higher risk of re-injury. They're less likely to return to sport. They're slower to return to sport. Uh, and there's a higher incidence of total knee replacement in the long term. And we're seeing some similar trends in outcomes after concussion. So how can clinicians apply a gendered environmental lens when they're rehabilitating patients? All those things you just listed, Brooke, about um, girls and women having poorer outcomes in general than men. Up to this point, the default has been biology, biology and biomedical reasons. So hormones and anatomy. And this is the perfect example of why we need to expand that thinking and ask the questions about what is the athlete's environment like? What is their support system like? I think I, we say in the paper, you know, you can't just tell an athlete to get stronger if the, if the environment and the systems are not in place to help that person accomplish the goals. So asking, I think that's part of the rehab that, um, that clinicians are need to ask those questions about, you know, who do you have in your life that can support you in your rehab? Are there family and home responsibilities that need to be taken care of at the same time as you're trying to do your rehab? Um, and is that different for um, a, a female athlete versus a male athlete? Um, you know, asking the athlete, what are their expectations about getting back? There's different expectations depending on sex, gender, right? Men might feel like this expectation, be a man, get back there faster. Um, whereas women might not feel that expectation um, as, as strongly as men. Um, so I think it's for clinicians, it's, and we're so, as a physiotherapist, I can absolutely attest to this. We are so focused on the physical. We want to make those muscles stronger and those movement patterns better. And 
um, make sure everyone has good range of motion and flexibility, all those kinds of things. That's what we're trained really well to do. What we're not trained as well to do, and I, this is my own opinion um, from both a student and an educator perspective, is asking those more um, psychosocial questions. So how, what are your expectations of physiotherapy or rehabilitation? Do you want to go back to your previous um, level of sport? What things are in place to help you get there? You know, those kinds of things are, I think, what the clinician needs to um, move towards in addition to dealing with the physical. And it's not a comfortable place to be. Um, I know we've, we've done some, uh, I've did some work with actually low back pain patients and, and um, clinicians are not comfortable when it goes, when they have to start asking these, you know, softer questions, like they say, um, but it, it is where we need to go because it's the big picture and it's, we won't get to the bottom of things and solve this problem if we don't get the bigger picture. Did you want to add anything, Steph? I guess one of the key things that our gendered environmental approach tries to do is essentially to put bodies and put athletes sort of in context and we can't separate um, an athlete from the gendered context of, of all of our lives. And so thinking to some of those clinical aspects that Joanne was just mentioning, it makes me wonder what would that look like then in, in the treatment room in terms of thinking about what a program of rehab would look like? Maybe it would mean asking additional questions about someone's um, household responsibilities and, and maybe, maybe something included in a rehab program in the future actually includes something like support around childcare or support around um, you know, other aspects of our lives think maybe maybe it's thinking about supports and rehabilitation um you know beyond just the knee <laughs> it's thinking about what are the other resources we can put in place to ensure that the patient or the athlete can actually follow through with this course of treatment and rehabilitation that just made me think of too that uh, with the ncaa example so um that was a, an example of very different resources that were available to men's teams and women's teams. And if that trickles down into individual teams or individual athlete environments, you're going to have very different resources available for that rehabilitation, even if home factors are not an issue and, and you know, other things like that. Um, if that was an example of the equipment and the space that is available to women compared to men, I mean, that's a huge barrier. Joanne and Steph, it's been fantastic to chat. Can you please leave the listeners with three key takeaways from today's session? The key takeaway is that we need to understand bodies in context. And that means thinking about um, how our environments might actually affect us in a way that manifests biologically. Some takeaway points for me from um, our talk today and our paper is that use this as an opportunity to critically look at your sport environment. Whether you're an athlete, a coach, a parent, why are things done the way they are? Do they have to be done that way? And is the environment setting up all athletes to be the best that they can be? That's something that everybody can do with no cost. Um, another takeaway for me uh, is that I hope people stop reducing women athletes to their hormones and biology. Besides propagating sex, sexism, 
Um, ACL and other injuries, like we've said, concussion are much more likely to be a result of other experiences and the environments um, that we accumulate as humans. And so I'd really like to see a stop um, to us as women as hormones. Um, the third takeaway point I would say is more for ACL researchers and the sport medicine community, uh, sport medicine research community, is that we need to start considering both gender and sex and the gender sex entanglement from here on out whenever we're considering ACL injury uh, research for sure. But as we've said, concussion research, probably any type of injury, you could even apply this, uh, the, um, the ideas that we've proposed in this paper as well. So we need to start with the correct terminology. Are you assessing sex or gender or both? And why are you doing that? And then um, taking into consideration those, the entanglement when we're trying to figure out risk factors for injury, as well as, um, rehabilitation or treatment options as well. I would love to hear from listeners of the podcast who perhaps work in sporting clubs with men's and women's teams or athletes in the clinic. Um, what are some of the key um, disparities you believe are affecting uh, athlete injury risk and treatment in terms of this gendered environment that we've been speaking about today? So um, I'm sure Joan and Steph would welcome any discussion on this. Um, so where can listeners engage with you? Well, we have to say on Twitter because that's where we met. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Thanks so much, Joanne and Steph. Thank you for listening to this BJSM podcast. You can find Joanne and Steph's contact details and links to their paper in the show notes. And as always, take care and have a physically active day.